Does manual treasury management and operations have your crypto business stuck in the slow lane? Scale up and speed ahead with Fireblocks, the number one platform for crypto operations and trading pros that makes custody, settlement, and rebalancing quick and easy. Visit fireblocks.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Coinbase Prime, an integrated solution that provides institutional investors with an advanced trading platform, secure custody, and prime services to manage all of their crypto assets in one place. Futuristic companies like Tesla and MicroStrategy have used Coinbase's comprehensive investing platform to execute some of the largest trades in the industry. Learn more by visiting coinbase.com prime to get started today. I'd also like to give a shout out to Cross River. Whether you're a crypto exchange, NFT marketplace, or wallet, Cross River's integrated API-based platform provides the payment solutions you need to grow. A CryptoFin industry award winner and an early partner for companies like Coinbase, Cross River's tech stack supports crypto partners and enables real-time money movement for consumers. Welcome to a new world of crypto-friendly banking at crossriver.com crypto. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblockcrypto.com slash terms dash service. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block. Very excited for today's show. Joining us on the other side of the mic is my guest, Fred Teal, chair and CEO at Marathon Digital Holdings. Founded in 2010, Marathon Digital is one of the most premier publicly traded crypto companies. Prior to his time at Marathon, Fred served on the board of numerous technology companies across software semiconductors and gaming over the past 30 years. Fred, also a radio head, we've come to find out before we started turning on the mics, former podcaster as well. Fred, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Great to be here. And again, like we like we talked about, you have a great voice. So our listeners are in for a treat. They're not only going to get some good brain food to chew on, they're also going to get to be they're going to get to listen to the malefluence of your voice there. Fred, we're kind of in a weird period of the market. Things are sideways. We reported yesterday BlockFi is raising a down round. You're still seeing venture activity pretty strong, but the market's in a, a bit of a sort of bear market, it looks like, I'd say. Uh, how's business for Marathon? You know, the unique thing about Bitcoin mining is we don't have customers. We mine Bitcoin, and as long as we're operating our facilities with as much efficiency as we can, we earn our Bitcoin. So we don't have the typical thing that venture-backed companies have, which is you need to go out and get customers. And if customers are slowing down their purchases or volumes of trading on exchanges go down, if you're a DeFi company or people are staking less, your revenues go down, and by the way, it's harder to raise capital, so you've got to cut back. In our case, we're in a massive deployment phase. We're growing our capacity almost 6x this year, 
And for us, it's just about execution, which is something we're nose down focused on is plugging miners in. And for every miner we plug in, we earn more Bitcoin. And so we're very optimistic about this year being a much better year than last year and um, so on into the future. So it, it's a different dynamic in our industry, clearly, than the traditional venture-backed world. Well, if you think about the dynamics that are at play for a mining company, what is important? Like what, you know, typically for the type of companies you're talking about, the number of customers is important. In a down market, you see those customers leave, go elsewhere, pull back from the market. What factors in a bear market make mining difficult? Does price have much of an impact or, or no? Yeah, definitely. Obviously, the price of Bitcoin has an impact, especially if you're selling your Bitcoin. Now, you know, most miners since 2020 were holding their Bitcoin, though that's changed now. We still hold all our Bitcoin. But the price of Bitcoin derives your profitability because we recognize revenue based on the price of Bitcoin each day for the Bitcoin that we earn. Luckily, our cost to produce a Bitcoin as of Q1 of this year was about $6,250. Now, that's the cost of electricity plus the cost of hosting and the operations team that manages all that. So, you know, we can sustain a pretty huge downtrend in the price of Bitcoin before we start thinking about shutting off miners or things like that. What's that threshold? You know, uh, if the price of Bitcoin were to get down into the low teens, you know, then you start making decisions about do you stop expanding? Do you slow down growth? You don't necessarily unplug any miners because, you know, as long as the miners producing Bitcoin with some profit, it's worth doing. The other thing you have to think about is as the price drops, other miners have to unplug because they can't operate profitably. So if you look at the fleet of miner rigs that are installed, you know, most people don't realize this. There are only about 3.8, 3.9 million mining rigs installed in the world. And 28% of those are S9s, which are two generations ago, four times less efficient than the current generation S19 that we use. So somebody operating a large fleet of S9s or even S17s, you know, as the price of Bitcoin approaches 20,000, they're losing money. And so mm -hmm. what happens is the global hash rate starts dropping. And you guys have reported on this that, you know, the Biduda forecast, if you go back six months ago to November, oh gosh, 2022, we're going to see 88% growth in the global hash rate. All these companies are plugging in miners. So that would have resulted in a global hash rate at the end of this year of around 360. Now they're saying numbers closer to 300, maybe 275. What that means is that for the miners who are operating, they get more Bitcoin per terahash than if the global hash rate had grown as much as was forecasted previously. So we think, you know, bear markets are typically when we make big moves. In 2020, we placed a huge order for miners at very, very low cost. We think miner rigs are gonna be inexpensive going forward for a while. There's going to be a lot of pricing pressure on the hardware guys. And you know, if you think about this business, there are really three things we worry about. The price of Bitcoin, cost of power and our ability to deploy, and then access to hardware. Uh, you know, capital is important too, but those are the three kind of KPIs we look at all day long. Well, let's, let's double click on that second factor, which is the cost of energy. I saw a note come out from Goldman Sachs this morning in which they communicate to their clients that they expect Brett crude to average $140 a barrel between July and September. 
And I think the national price of gasoline is, is above $5 at this point. So energy costs are rising, not just because of inflation, but also the ongoing conflict in Europe. How does that impact your operations and the operations of miners more broadly? So the mining industry, Bitcoin mining industry, to differentiate it from mineral mining, typically we buy energy on long-term contracts. So just like the airline industry will hedge their fuel purchases by buying futures on fuel, when we write a hosting agreement, we are locking in a fixed price for five years. So mm-hmm. our cost of hosting, which is energy, hosting services, et cetera, is locked in at a little over four cents a kilowatt hour for five years. And our energy provider has to take out the hedges to make sure that they're not upside down on the energy cost. So we're very well insulated from this. And I think if you talk to most of the financial analysts and forecasters who are looking at the energy markets, they'll tell you that, you know, this is a two-year kind of run up in the price of energy. And after two years, depending upon what happens in Europe, uh, things will start to normalize. And you'll have seen this ramp of production always ends up driving a crashing in pricing of energy prices. We'll see, you know, natural gas, for example, which is the most important fuel component for Bitcoin mining in North America. You'll see that price come down considerably in the next two years, I think. So you're immune to a degree to these rising costs since you're locked in. Yep. And it seems like price is still not at that bad of a spot. It gets a little shaky around 20, 25, it seems. But what about the supply chain? How are sort of, you know, accessing the machines and getting them to your facilities? How How is that going? We've had no problem with that. Even, you know, the market now is much looser than it was back six months ago. Um, yeah. And e- even six months ago, you know, then we chartered jets to fly miners uh, to bring them over. But we haven't had any delivery issues. Uh, you know, things even when at the tightest time. Maybe deliveries were shipped at the end of the month versus the beginning of the month, so a couple of weeks here and there. But we've never really had major issues on the hardware supply chain side. For us, it's more uh, deployment and energy companies and the permitting and all of those things that kind of fall outside of your control because you're dealing with entities like FERC or you're dealing with ERCOT and you're dealing with power providers. So from our side, uh, deployment's been more of a challenge hardware hasn't at all. And, you know, it's only going to get, the hardware market's only going to get looser as uh, more and more miners start canceling orders or default on orders with the hardware guys. If you look at the spot market, you can see pricing on rigs has dropped considerably since November. So I think we're going to continue to see a soft market on the hardware side for at least another six months. And what's the issues with deployment? So, you know, for us, it's about you have to get the energy provider because we deploy behind the meter. So we are on the grounds of a power plant typically. So the plant we're in the process of turning on in West Texas is a big wind farm. It's operated by the energy company Nextera. We're basically have built a four-phase data center around the base of this wind farm. And then we supplement with grid energy. And so you have contracting issues with the power company that took longer than expected. You have contracting issues between the power company and the grid operator that took much longer than expected. And you've got some, a last minute kind of issue between 
the power company and uh, FERC and one of their lenders. Uh, that's just kind of prevented us from turning on miners. Uh, we continue to build the site. We continue to install miners. And so we're just really waiting to be able to flip the switch here, which is any day this week, most probably. And that Texas operation is going to result in your potential hash rate. I'm looking at a chart here, just exploding. Yeah. So it's the first, uh, this site is the first of a number of sites that we're deploying over this year. And uh, we're super excited about it. You know, it's all, it's wind energy backed up by grid energy uh, behind the meter. It's the largest behind the meter deployment of renewable energy and Bitcoin mining done yet. It's 280 megawatts, which is a huge amount of energy when you think about it. This is a facility that generates a little over 700 megawatts of power. If you think about the, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, miners are consuming all this energy. You know, the bigger problem in Texas is not energy generation. There's lots of excess energy in Texas. It's getting the energy to consumers. The grid has congestion points. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, especially with West Texas, you can't get the energy from West Texas to East Texas or Central Texas very easily because of that grid congestion. So there's a lot of wasted energy. So we soak up that wasted energy which the power company otherwise couldn't sell, which makes now the renewable energy facility profitable, which allows them to reinvest in more renewable energy. So it's kind of the perfect proof point of the model where Bitcoin miners actually are the incentive for building more renewable energy. Because in the market, the energy markets today, you know, the grid won't consume more energy than consumers are using. And consumers use peak energy from 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. That's when air conditioners are on, heaters are on, cooktops are on, drying machines are on, et cetera. And so if you think about renewable energy, solar energy shines from the morning to the afternoon. So it doesn't mm -hmm. really help with that peak. And wind energy is mostly in Texas at night. Mm -hmm. So you have nuclear energy at the bottom, which you can't turn on and off. It has to run at whatever capacity it's running at. Then you have coal. Then you have natural gas as kind of the what's called peaker plants, where you can turn that up and down depending on your needs. And then lastly comes the renewable energy. So when the grid doesn't need energy, it shuts down in that reverse order. It shuts off wind and solar, then it shuts off gas. And last of all, it would ever shut off a nuclear. So the renewable energy has the, the amount of hours they can sell of energy production is lower than any other energy generator. And so they need a customer who can soak up energy who's not on the grid, but rather installed on site. And that's what we do. So we soak up that excess energy. Adjacent to the grid. Yep, effectively. exactly. Yep. Each, each region, I think, um, a mining firm is going to situate itself in, is going to have different types of trade-offs. New York, and we can get into this, has its own regulatory headwinds, I guess you could say. But Texas has its own weather headwinds, right? I was reading today that the heat, God bless all of you at Consensus in Austin, it's 105 degrees down there today. I'm glad to be in New York. Scorching heat is going to be the biggest test to the state's grid since that winter storm last year that effectively shut down the entire state. How does weather impact sort of the business? So weather impacts the business in in two ways. One, it impacts the amount of energy the grid needs, right? So to your point, if it's 105 degrees in Austin, I bet you there's a lot of air conditioning running. <laughs> and it's running 24-7 versus just between 4 and 9. 
in the opposite weather conditions, when it's really cold, people are running their heaters. And you know, the, the issue with the winter freeze previously uh, also had a lot to do with freezing of the infrastructure, the actual natural gas piping and all that got frozen. So that caused bigger issues. But with the heat, it's essentially the grid needs more energy. And here's where Bitcoin miners fulfill this role of being an energy capacitor. So if you think about it, you know, we're consuming 280 megawatts in West Texas. If the grid needs that 280 megawatts, we can shut down in 10 minutes and provide that energy to the grid. Uh, right. You know, albeit whatever grid congestion issues, the grid can take whatever they can take. And then when they don't need it anymore, in 20 minutes, we're back online. So we're this perfect capacitor where we make sure the energy generator, the power plant, gets paid to operate so they can operate profitably, so they can maintain their plants and grow their capacity. And then whenever the grid needs it, we have a, a relationship with ERCOT and with the power generator where they can just curtail us. And then we shut down for an hour, two hours, whatever it is they need. And then we come right back online. You can't do that with food processing industries. You can't do it with steel. You can't do it with most manufacturing. It's a very unique symbiotic relationship that Bitcoin mining and the power industry can have in this regard. And this is why you're seeing more and more power companies announcing deals where they're getting into the kind of partnering with data centers, where we want to build data centers co-located with our power generating facilities because that's a business where we can essentially create more offtake for our energy generation when we can't sell it. But it can't be like an Amazon data center or a Google data center that has to run 24 seven, 365, and you can't interrupt those, right? If you interrupt Amazon's data center, Netflix shuts down, right? Airbnb shuts down, Disney shuts down, but a Bitcoin mining, you can shut down in 10 minutes. So what's the relationship between these data centers and the the rigs themselves? So think of the, the data center as uh, in the Bitcoin mining world, it's not this sophisticated building with all this air conditioning and special security and all that because you know, we don't host any data that's of value. These are big fields of containers typically or big warehouse-like buildings that have shelving in them with you know, thousands of miners running and essentially open airflow that blows through this building or through mm -hmm. the container. And so where the high heat affects the mining industry is when the temperature starts getting into the 100 degree range, and humidity is also a factor, but you don't have that in West Texas. It's very dry there. Then all of a sudden, you have to start shutting down miners just because they overheat. Mm. Um, so the high heat you know, will impact productivity of miners. But when you balance it out over the course of the year, you can most probably, even with severe heat spikes and curtailment, resulting from that, and then cold spells in the winter, you're still most probably over 90% uptime. I remember one of the earliest shows we did might have been during the bear market of 2019. We had a mining expert on, and I was just riveted by this conversation we had about the impact of the rainy seasons in China on the mining industry. And just walking through the degree to which this industry is, the success, if you will, of it is contingent on good weather. And the two are very interconnected. And when you have, I, I think if I'm remembering correctly, back when mining was concentrated in China during the rainy season, you'd have an impact on hash rate. Yep. Sort of, it would decline. And I guess probably here now that it's moved to the U.S., it, 
maybe has more to do with the intensity in these temperature extremes. Yeah, I think it's a little different. You know, in China, you also had a geographic logistics issue where they would operate at coal-powered plants for nine months of the year. And then when the rainy season hit, they would literally relocate their miners <laughs> to yeah. the hydro facilities. So right. the, the drop in hash rate was this, okay, it's going to take however many weeks to transport these miners that are offline and they're all running to the hydro because the hydro energy was almost free for them. That's mm-hmm. why they did it. Otherwise, you know, they weren't focused on renewable energy as a from an ESG perspective. It was just all cost-driven. And the, the hydro was almost free because these hydro facilities were built and they had no customers. You know, typical, you know, state-mandated planning. You know, we're going to gener- have so many power plants in these regions, uh, but there were no customers for it. So that energy was very cheap, which caused the miners to want to move in the rainy season to get the cheap electricity. We don't have that here in the U.S. You know, you plug in and you stay plugged in and you deal with the weather irregularities and the grid irregularities and just factor that into your overall uptime. Makes sense. Each mining firm in their own right is fairly complex and sits at different at different points in the sort of chain of how, how this business works. We use the word mining company as a catch-all, but... How would you explain the sort of scope of of the firm and the way in which it contributes to the broader Bitcoin ecosystem? So, you know, the whole function of Bitcoin miners is to essentially process transactions and write blocks. And the way the Bitcoin blockchain software is written, it's through a consensus mechanism driven by uh, miners competing to essentially guess a number, to keep it simple. Mm-hmm. And so we have all of these very fast computers whose job it is to process transactions into a block and then guess this hash key, hash number, if you would, that allows us to then win the race because we guessed closest to the right number. And then we get that to write that block and we earn our Bitcoin from it. So when the, you know, the business is really just operating these computers that are simply running these math problems, essentially. And if we all do a good job, then, you know, the Bitcoin blockchain is secure and is very stable. And obviously, this industry does a good job. When China shut down and you had all this drop in hash rate, the Bitcoin blockchain continued operating without a blink. Um, you know, we don't have outages like you see in Solana. We don't have, you know, any of the hacking risks that you see in the Ethereum world. So the Bitcoin blockchain is very secure and the sheer volume of miners operating in it ensures that. So then if you look at mining companies, mining companies can approach this market in different ways. You have some miners who are very vertically integrated. And by that, I mean, Mm -hmm. they will contract with a power company, they will build their own data center and own their own data center. And they may decide to rent out some of their capacity, their hosting capacity to third-party miners who don't have their own facilities while they do their own mining, or they may just only do their own mining, or they may just only rent out capacity to third-party miners. Yeah, they just run the they just run the data center. They don't even have any miners themselves operating. Exactly. And so our model is a little different. Our model is asset light. What does that mean? It means we partner with people who own data centers and operate them. And they're experts in operating and building and engineering and designing these data centers. You know, our expertise is in procuring miners and making sure that they're 
put in places with the best energy contracts and that we operate as efficiently as we can. And, you know, we're one of the lowest cost operators in the industry because we don't have all this infrastructure that we worry about. You know, if you look at a, uh, you know, a company like Riot, for example, who's built the large windstone facility, they're now building another gigawatt sized facility in East Texas, you know, that takes a lot of capital. And that's capital that goes to everything but actually buying miners and plugging them in. That's infrastructure. Mm. So we partner with a company called Compute North, for example, in our West Texas facility. They designed it, they built it, and they're going to operate it. They charge us a small fee per kilowatt hour for all of that and on top of the energy. And for us, it's a very simple, very agile way of operating. You know, we're a company like a riot or another vertically integrated miner may have 50, 100, 200 people. We have 15 people. Wow. You know, we are a Marathon's, super lean Marathon's operator. 15 people. Well, a year ago, we were only four people. Wow. How important is a knowledge of the energy world? I feel like these two industries are intertwined, but becoming increasingly intertwined. You know, when we think about hiring here, I, I always try to hammer home the point that probably more useful to know how to be a reporter than to have experience in crypto. Do you reckon that someone can be successful in this business without having some sort of background in oil, natural gas, or, or that sort of field? Well, it's interesting you say that. We just brought on a new CFO a few months ago, and he, he has a 30-year background in the gas industry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're obviously very focused on you know, energy is our single biggest input cost. So for us, it's very important that everybody who's involved in kind of the planning and the contracting of our deployment is very savvy regarding energy contracts, the energy markets, how to operate and run and design these facilities. While we don't necessarily design and build the facility, we have to have all that knowledge anyway so that we can uh, do it. You yeah. know, it's kind of, think of it this way, Amazon typically doesn't construct their own warehouses, right? They farm that out to companies who are big commercial developers who do that. Now, they're very involved in the specifications and the design and all that, as are we with our data centers. But we let other people build them, operate them, and then we just pay them a fee on a per kilowatt hour basis for it. So for us, all of our CapEx is focused on deploying into miners versus infrastructure and other things. Having trouble keeping pace with the crypto boom? When your business is scaling up and your portfolio is growing, you don't want to waste precious time on manual treasury management or settling in rebalancing. Fireblocks can handle that for you with smart, scalable solutions for your crypto business, along with industry-leading security and expertise. They'll take care of the back end so you can focus on the big picture. Visit fireblocks.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Coinbase Prime. 
an integrated solution that provides institutional investors with an advanced trading platform, secure custody, and Prime services to manage all their crypto assets in one place. Coinbase Prime fully integrates crypto trading and custody on a single platform and gives clients the best all-in pricing in their network using their proprietary smart order router and algorithmic execution. Futuristic companies like Tesla and MicroStrategy have already used Coinbase's comprehensive investing platform to execute some of the largest trades in the industry. Build a unified investment portfolio with one of the most trusted names in crypto. Learn more by visiting coinbase.com prime to get started today. This episode is brought to you by Cross River. Building the next big thing in crypto? Then it's time to get your fiat on and off ramp solution from Cross River. Whether you're a crypto exchange, NFT marketplace, or wallet, Cross River's integrated API based platform provides the payment solutions you need to grow. Cross River is powering the future of financial services. A CryptoFin industry award winner and an early partner for companies like Coinbase, Cross River's tech stack supports crypto partners and enables real-time money movement for consumers. Welcome to a new world of crypto-friendly banking. Request your fiat on and off-ramp solution now at crossriver.com slash crypto. Okay, let's maybe move on to the topic du jour, which is this bill that passed through the New York Assembly that would effectively implement a two-year moratorium on Bitcoin mining, which would effectively prevent the expansion of certain carbon-based crypto mining operations. Republicans argued that the bill was anti-tech, would send the wrong signal to the industry, but it passed with a vote tally of 95 in favor and 52 against, probably tied to what is perceived to be a negative environmental impact. There's also been, I mean, I remember Years ago, a report in the New York Times about how this mining operation, maybe I'll try to dig it up, sent this small town in upstate New York into some sort of chaos. So I guess there's a negative affiliation, kind of the antithesis of how miners are being welcomed in Texas by lawmakers. But in, in any case, Naraj over at Coin Center had an interesting take on this, which is you're effectively you know, maybe not for the first time, but certainly the most public display of saying what you can use power for in terms of the perspective of the open internet, right? It, it would be equivalent to, you know, shutting down a data center if sort of those data centers were powering Netflix to your point. And we decided one day we don't like Netflix. What do you, what do you think of this situation? Uh, well, I don't think we have enough time in this podcast, <laughs> but I'll, I'll share my, my high-level thoughts. So if you read the beginning of the bill, it says that this bill is designed to help support New York achieve its carbon emissions target of, 2020, of 2040, I think is the year they're targeting, right? Mm -hmm. And so in theory, they don't want fossil fuel uh, generation to expand. They ideally would want it to reduce. So... Why, firstly, pick one industry, and by the way, this is only fossil fuel used behind the meter. So I can be a Bitcoin miner, according to the law, I can add 
lots of capacity if I can buy it on the grid. New York's not prohibiting me from doing that. What they're prohibiting me from doing or putting a moratorium on is if I have a gas plant or a coal-fired plant that has been offline that I now reinvigorate, right, bring back jobs, do all the things that, you know, happen when you reinvigorate a power plant, that I can't do. Got it. Now, if it's a hydro facility, I can do it. If it's wind, I can do it. If it's on the grid, I can do it. So the strange thing is, if what you were trying to do is say Bitcoin mining is bad for power consumption because we have communities that go without power and have to buy in the spot market. And so therefore we don't want Bitcoin mining. That would be one thing. There would just be a moratorium on Bitcoin mining. If what you don't want is gas fired and coal fired plants turning back online, then just put a moratorium on putting gas fired plants and coal plants back online. Because if I'm a car manufacturer, I could go to New York and say, hey, I'm going to relight up this carbon fired, uh, this fossil fuel power plant because I'm going to need the power and I'll bring jobs and they'll welcome you. So it's kind of this conflict, right? Why target Bitcoin miners specifically for a specific type of energy instead of just saying, hey, we want a moratorium on any use of this energy or we want a moratorium on mining more broadly. So it's a bill that clearly needed to be band-aided and rubber banded to get it passed, to get constituents to agree to it. You know, this, if I understand it right, this was in one committee and at the 11th hour was finagled yeah. into a different committee so it could get on the floor before the session ended for recess. So what that tells me is there's a lot of political shenanigans going on. You know, there's certain parties who really want to see Bitcoin disappear because it would help their blockchain more. And, um, you know, they're funding a lot of efforts in the whole kind of FUD around Bitcoin mining. And I think, you know, it's um, the first shoe to drop. But I think, you know, the unfortunate thing for the state of New York is that this essentially is turning off the state of New York from any Bitcoin miners wanting to do stuff there. And the Union of Electrical Workers came out against this bill because of the jobs that Bitcoin mining creates in the state of New York. And, you know, once somebody makes a move in one direction like this, because we're an industry where we invest for long periods of time, five to 10 year periods, you know, I don't want to take the risk of doing anything in New York because of the political environment there. It's like, I wouldn't want to set up a Bitcoin mining operation in California necessarily because of the risk, because, you know, the energy grid in California is so unstable also. Sure. But Texas, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming, Georgia, et cetera. There are lots of states that are welcoming Bitcoin miners that have excess energy. They understand the tax dollars Bitcoin mining brings. They understand the jobs Bitcoin mining brings. And they understand what it does to these communities where, you know, you had big industrial plants that shut down as the U.S. offshore these industries that now can embrace Bitcoin mining and bring back jobs. And you're, you know... Just just to be clear, this did pass then the Senate late last week. I think it was in the wee hours of of the night. And so yeah. now we're kind of waiting for the governor to make the final call to either sign into law or veto it. You were quoted in an article in CNBC talking about the moratorium. And at the top of this story, they cite New York State Assembly member Anna Kelly's, who said that it's important to understand that this is not a band ban. Uh, and then I guess she mused, it's like a three page bill. Uh, 
So it'd be wonderful to just have people read it, but it often ends up being an interpretation based on emotions. You don't sound very emotional, Fred. Is she just, you know, blowing smoke? Well, we could talk about politicians and uh, what they do, but I'll just quote, you know, Mr. Munger that uh, look for the incentives and you know how people will act. Uh, obviously, certain politicians are incentivized to support this, uh, whether that's political contributions or currying favor, whatever it might be. You know, I'm not inside their minds, so I, I couldn't tell you. But I think that, uh, you know, the bill is very clear. It's a moratorium specifically on Bitcoin mining, specifically on fossil fuel use, specifically on behind the meter. If you wanted to reduce Bitcoin mining in the state because of the amount of energy it uses, put a moratorium across the board on all energy types and energy sources, grid, behind the meter, uh, whatever it might be. I think some people might look at this and think, well, this is this is a good thing that they're not doing a complete ban across energy types. Why would that be your preference? Well, no, my preference would be that if fossil fuel use, which is in the preamble to the bill, you know, it's all about meeting the, you know, 2040 targets for the state, then look at the fossil fuel use and simply say, hey, we don't want any fossil fuel plants that have gone mm -hmm. offline to come back, period. <laughs> because what you're effectively doing is it's only Bitcoin miners who bring these back online that are an issue, right? As my previous example, if I'm a car manufacturer, if I'm a fertilizer manufacturer, I can go get this power plant put back online and I'm not helping the state. I'm actually making it worse. But they didn't put a moratorium on across the a blanket moratorium by industry, you know, they basically just said Bitcoin mining. So it clearly, you know, my assumption is a they couldn't get it passed if it was a blanket Bitcoin mining ban. Well, totally. And imagine if they went out and said that we're going to put a moratorium on all data centers, you know, whether they're owned by Amazon or Google that use this type of energy source. That would never happen. Exactly. And, and, you know, to your, you know, you made the comment earlier that this is the first time you're seeing the regulation of who is allowed to buy what energy, right? So to your point, you know, imagine if all of a sudden Congress decided that, you know, the streaming industry is bad, so we're not going to allow the streaming industry to use the internet. Mm. It's kind of something like that. So how do you see this impacting Bitcoin miners in the United States? Well, they'll obviously avoid New York State. But, you know, again, go back to the China issue. China banned Bitcoin mining. All that mining moved. Uh, if the U.S. government were to ban Bitcoin mining, which is not something I think they're going to do, Bitcoin mining would move somewhere else. Bitcoin is a very big asset class and mining is a transportable business. We can move wherever we have to move, provided we can get access to energy. And the industry has grown big enough and has enough capital now. So, it's getting to the point where Bitcoin miners, if they wanted to, could very easily just partner directly with energy companies in other countries. Uh, you know, Kenya, for example, has 17 gigawatts of excess thermal, geothermal energy. So totally green geothermal energy with no offtake for it. You know, that's a place where, you know, if you're okay with rule of law, the stability of that energy generation that's a place I guarantee you, you will see lots of miners going. The Middle East, where you have 
an asymmetric energy use, right? In summer, for example, in the United Arab Emirates, they generate four gigawatts of power, but in winter, they only need one gigawatt of power. So Mm -hmm. for a good period of the year, you've got all this energy that they can't sell. Mm. And Bitcoin mining is a perfect opportunity there. And the UAE is actively pursuing developing Bitcoin mining industry within the member states. Uh, I think you're going to see this all over the world where you know, countries that have inexpensive energy uh, are going to try and look at building out Bitcoin mining because it's a supplemental consumer for their, their excess energy and it's a load balancer. Uh, I'll give you another great example. We're talking with a, a company that has a project to build a um, essentially a cruise ship port in a part of Alaska that's fairly remote where the cruise ships would come basically plug into shore power for eight hours and then get serviced and then go back out to sea. But they would only use this for a few months of the year. And the operator of this cruise ship port, one of the requirements from the cruise lines is it has to be renewable energy. So they're evaluating building a hydro generation facility. The problem is how can you justify the investment in a hydro facility if you're only going to sell power eight hours a day for a few months of the year? Well, we had a discussion with them and said, you know, you could do Bitcoin mining the rest of the time. It's clean energy. Bitcoin mining would provide consumption, which would help finance the building because it's really hard to go to a bank and say, I have a customer for eight hours a day for a few months of the year. But you could get financing if you said, I have customers 24-7, plus when the cruise lines are in town, I can shut down my mining, sell the energy to the cruise lines, and then turn it back on when they're gone. So I have revenue generation 24-7, 365. That's an easy project to get financed. So that's that where that symbiotic relationship between miners and you know asymmetric energy use work really well. Kind of filling in those gaps. Yeah, exactly. This is probably one of the biggest misunderstandings about Bitcoin mining generally, that it is just this leech on the grid, on our natural resources. And in many ways, it's kind of stepping into, in in some instances, you know, they'll just have to burn this power anyway in certain areas. And that can, I think there was one firm that we spoke to that effectively set up next to these flaring sites. And instead of it just being burned into nothing, they harness that energy. And there's a lot of stuff like that going on, yep. which, you know, is a, is a net positive. Yeah. I mean, there's a company in Pennsylvania, a Bitcoin miner who essentially takes coal tailings, which are the leftovers from coal mining, which if you don't deal with it, leaches into the soil, it pollutes the water, it creates all sorts of gases that are really bad. They're taking those coal tailings and processing them so they can use that to generate energy with um, very low pollutant factor and essentially cleaning up all of these coal tailings. And it provides a, a great service. But, you know, again, the press doesn't really write about that. As you know, in a world today where you have to get people's attention, you need kind of some headlines that will get people to click on news stories. And it's always easy to uh, demonize something and get people to kind of focus on that. We'll have to make the headline of this show, uh, Fred Thiel demonizes anti-Bitcoin crusaders. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That'll get some clicks. So, sir, what are you most excited about as we get to the middle of the year? We've got another, you know, we're halfway through the year. What what are some of the big projects that you have underway that we haven't talked about? Yeah, we're focused on deploying, you know, we're growing 
you know, sixfold, as I mentioned earlier, and we're just nose to the grindstone focused on plugging miners in and getting energy turned on to those miners. And uh, that's the only thing we're focused on. And, you know, as we come around to this time next year, you know, we'll be running 20 plus exahash, you know, 23 exahash of mining capacity, and we'll continue to grow that as, you know, the market allows. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, if there's a major crash, we may slow down our expansion um, or we may accelerate it. It all depends on the market dynamics. You know, when machines are inexpensive and power is readily available, that's when it makes sense to grow. And that typically happens in environments like the one we're in right now. Well, it should be exciting to follow and watch. Fred Teal, thanks so much for stopping by the show to chat with us. Where can our listeners learn more about you and what you're doing at Marathon? Marathon's website is marathondh.com. So marathondh.com, that's for Marathon Digital Holdings. You can find out all about us there and uh, you can contact us there as well. We're also on Twitter and, um, you know, all the other services as well. All the other sites. Well, thanks again for stopping by. Great. Thank you. The Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have an awesome day.